Listen, it is good to speak with you again. You too. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. been it's been too long. Lots of stuff has happened. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you noticed this, but when I was searching for your name in in my inbox to to follow up on a message, yeah, there's like a multi-year journey to get to this point. I think this is the third time we tried to to, to try to do this. Um, and, and each time something else came up, yeah. uh, and so it's, yeah, it's nice to be able to do this. Yeah, for sure, man. Um, listen again, thank you so much for your time. Uh, you, you are busy, um, at least according to like Instagram and stuff like that, which is, uh, you know, one of the ways I've, I've sort of kept up with people is just seeing, you know, what's what's going on uh, that way and, and uh, you know, understanding that that's not always everything that's going on with people. Um, but, um, you know, similar to, to what you did, I, I sort of, you know, threw your name in the search engine and said, okay, what, what's been going on? What's been happening? And um, I, I don't know if it was the last time we... Because we, we sort of have spoken off camera, off tape, uh, many times um, in between the sort of uh, media chats that we've had. Um, but I remember, obviously, when you were with My City Lives, uh, you know, I, I chatted with you uh, in this capacity at least two to three times. Um, for sure, but there's been a lot of stuff that you that have, that you've been doing since then, and so I I want to sort of pick it up from you leaving my city lives if if that's okay with you, or I don't know if leaving's the right word or not, but yeah, um, yeah. that's one word, you know, leaving or stopping or moving on, sort of thing, right? Um, you know, there's we we all have you know our our journeys, uh, for sure, yeah. but um, you know, tell me about you know, leaving that because you left that and you joined CSI. Yeah. Um, the, the space that you guys were actually in at the at that time. Yeah. Um, I I think just to pick up on your choice of words, I think I think leaving feels, you know, accurate enough. Uh, you know, transition from, move on, um, recognize that that chapter had ended and I was ready for a new one. Um, and, you know, My City Lives was um, home, our home was in the Center for Social Innovation, which is a co-working space and community for many uh, social entrepreneur uh, organizations and beyond. And um, while there, um, I really fell in love with the community and, and the ethos of CSI and uh, I would I would say it was a, it was a really natural and uh, quite a fortunate transition for me to go uh, from one uh, organization to another, uh, and, and to be held by the community in that transition because it was it was quite hard for me to be honest. How easy and correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, looking back, my city lives. Yes, there was community around it, but it was there was it was a technology I don't know solution if, if that's the right word. Mm -hmm. um, and then going into community first, uh, mm -hmm. and, and you've sort of, you've, you know, based on what I've seen, you've, you've been focused on people mm -hmm. more so than 
uh, a technology solution necessarily. Um, how, what was that immediate transition like? Year, years later, um, than what we're talking about right, right, you know, at this moment, I did a lot of work to understand, you know, where where I'm uniquely skilled and, and where my specific passions and interests lie. And uh, with with the advantage of being able to look back and see a lot of the data points, it's very clear that I have a pattern of uh, working uh, IRL uh, and directly with people. Um, I, I appreciate and love uh, all the things technology does. Um, and I feel uh, I feel like I'm, I'm meant to be in, in physical space, in real world, figuring out how to organize ourselves in that way. Nice. Listen, let's, let's pause here to be remiss for me, to, of me not to ask you, how, how have you been these past couple of years? You mean the years of the pandemic? Yeah. Um, you know, the first word that comes up is, um, I feel, I feel quite grateful. Um, I think in the grand scheme of things, while there is, there has been a lot of challenges, there continues to be a lot of challenges for the most part. Uh, when I learn about, uh, other people's experiences, I just feel very fortunate for my own. Um, I feel like I have the privilege of, of, uh, community and and other resources that have um yeah, that have kept me together over the last couple of years and um even the work that i'm doing now I'm, i feel very fortunate um you know i left my job very early in the pandemic uh, so that i could pursue this work and, and even being able to do that uh you know you can i could i could kind of see myself as part of the the great resigna resignation movement but you know, there, it was incredibly fortunate for me be, to be able to do that. Uh, so, yeah, I've been, I've been, things have been hard, but I've been good. What about you? Ah, uh, busier. I think busy is, is a word I would use. Um, I, I tend to have a, I don't know if it's, I think it's a fault of wanting to, to be doing something at all times mm. um, or most times. You know, even on the weekend, I, I, I tend to want to have a list of things to do. And whether the list is stuff like vacuum and laundry and make bread or, you know, edit an episode, um, I, I, I tend to want to fill up my days with things. Um, so all this time that I have saved i guess I, I don't need to dress anymore right uh, um i don't need to get in the car or the bus and go to work anymore uh, right. i get to stay home um it's like oh what can i do more of now right you know right. so um i think it's a fault because uh i know there's value and we'll get to this as well you know some of the work that you're doing um mm. there's value in, in resting and just chilling out, you know, mm. and just putting everything aside and just going with the flow sometimes, you know, so, but yeah, I think busy would describe these past couple of years for sure. Well, it's interesting you say that, I, you know, I, I had to unlearn a lot, a lot of my relationship to productivity. 
Um, I know you were asking me about my transition into CSI, but you know, a little bit about my transition out of CSI. I, I spent a year, um, what I like to say is off of work and on from life. And um, I, I spent a lot of time uh, reflecting. Uh, and, and one of the things that became very clear was I was uh, obsessed with being productive. My, my life revolved around my, my inbox. And, um, and, and I really, really had to confront that because it didn't feel like for me, at least, uh, that was that was the existence to which I would have felt the most fulfilled in. Wow. And was that was that something that you felt or something that, I don't know, outside, whether it's a book you read or the people that you kept around you recognized? Like how did you come to that realization? You know, the organization that I um, work with and for right now, uh, it's called Reset. And um, the, the premise of the organization was uh, to disconnect from our tech in order to connect with ourselves and each other. Uh, and um, five or six years ago, we started uh, organizing these digital, digital detox summer camps uh, that were centered around play. And uh, when I had my year on for life and I reflected on my different teachers uh, reset the organization and the community um, who co-created it I realized were, were, were the reasons uh, that I was able to confront the fact that all I wanted to do was work because even in in this space of play which I was you know co-responsible for creating I actually resisted it tremendously it was only in our fourth year where I actually started to play and um so even the so, even the reset you were you were working that you weren't enjoying it yeah like okay <laughs> you know i was the i was the the emergency phone contact for the first three years so i was the one who had my my phone out of everyone at the everybody else had checked their tech when they came to the door i kept mine on and i i i, I hid behind organizing and never actually participated. It was only in the fourth year when I stepped back fully from organizing and I had no choice just to show up that I realized how much even in that space of such intentional play and presence, I was still finding all the ways and reasons to be productive. And um, that, was a, uh, that was a hard but important truth to face. And so when you, when you were forced to play, that's a weird way to put it, you were forced to have fun. Um, what, like, like what's going on? Is, is there, um, are you feeling strange? Are you weird? Are you saying, are you feeling empty? Like what's going on with you? Uh, I think, I think a, a lot is going on. I mean, that's one of the most exciting things about play. Play is a, um, uh, it is, it is a portal to, to feelings amongst other things. And, and it's an, an extremely vulnerable activity. So I, I felt, I felt quite resistant, but but you know, when I got through that, I felt free. I felt free the way we feel when we're younger. Uh, and and the, the best parallel I could give, which you may be able to relate to, is when I was in school and um, recess would happen, I would, I would be so quick from my desk to that field. Um, there was a particular energy to that uh, that I began to feel again. And... Um, 
And, and so, you know, what, what's actually happening in order to kind of get from stuck in, in a productive cycle into uh, this, this playful cycle. I mean, there's a ton of science uh, and, and even spirituality behind that, which is, again, in my kind of year of reflection, um, I was able to, to really kind of put all of those pieces together uh, and begin to see, um, you know, this, this work is being profoundly impactful on me and something which I was really interested then in, on, on working on further, more so than just a side project off the side of my desk. Yeah, which is, which is how Reset started, right? It really started as a side thing, something to do in the summer. How did it all begin? Well, I was working um, at CSI at the time, and um, uh, three of my eventual co-founders, uh, Hima, Nagin, and Andrew, first first got together and, and were inspired by this idea of adult summer camps um, uh, based on an organization that was doing this work in California called Camp Grounded. Uh, they saw the idea, they noticed it wasn't happening in, in Ontario, and um, they decided it was something they wanted to do, and then they brought together um, another group of people, uh, including Emma, Rhea, Vlad, Antonio, and then myself, to become kind of the, the founding team. And I, I actually uh, resisted so hard being a part of it. And um, Why is that? Well, I think like it scared me. I think the idea of being away from my technology was was really okay. exciting. Was scary. I think the idea of play was scary. And and frankly, um, again, I was just so busy. I had reached a point in my life where what people asked me, "How you doing?" and and my answer was busy. And so so all of what they were talking about felt radical and silly and not very adult like. And so they made it very easy for me to 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 be a part of it. And and for that, I'm eternally grateful. And then. We in turn invited people that we knew and in the initial camp reset, you know, those 80 people who came, the the the, the founding 80, you know, collectively co-created what, you know, what what exists today. So tell me about that first. You're like, what go what was going on at a at a reset? Well, there's three parameters that define our experiences. One is no tech. So so no phone, no cameras, no smartwatches, no laptops. And I think we all recognize when I say, when I talk to people about this then and now, I think we fundamentally all recognize in theory how freeing that is. But when it actually happens, and more importantly, when you know everyone around you is doing the same thing, you you kind of portal into a world that doesn't exist now. I mean, there's very few places, unfortunately, where we exist where we can say that that is the case and that and that we're we're free from even surveillance. And so, you know, premise one, check your tech. Premise two, um, no work talk. Um, getting away from the idea that our identities are defined by our work. Um, there was no, you know, no work talk um, that was part of the experiences. And then the, the third one was an invitation to use a nickname. And the idea of the nickname was to spark, um, to spark one's imagination, to show up how they would like and and to kind of leave some of their identities at home so they could kind of be whoever they want to be at camp. It also turns out nicknames, I think, are much more easier to remember than real names. And and so those were the parameters. So you show up, th that was the design parameters. And then over a four-day arc, we would we would organize um, you know, activities that were centered around play. And we invited the people who participated to also contribute towards that 
and um, you know what was what happened from there was was wilder than our most whimsical dreams. I think when we started it, it, it sounded like a nice idea that we would just do the thing. But then after year one, when when we felt the impact of, within ourselves, let alone the people that attended, we were like, okay, well, what do we do next? Um, and we began to think about reset beyond year one. Nice. And so it was a, I, was it a yearly camp? Is that how it, it sort of got started? Yeah. Yeah. It was an annual camp. Um, and every year we kind of, uh, we changed the size and the shape a little bit to accommodate our growth and our learnings. Um, there was always growth, but we never wanted to, to exponentially grow the way, uh, the dominant culture of our, of our times, um, you know, says is the way to go. Uh, we, we knew that particularly because the experience um, needed to be a space uh, where people felt uh, comfortable to, to be vulnerable, um, that the, the growth of the organization had to be slow. And so, you know, by growth, we went from 80 people to 100, 150 to 200, et cetera. Um, and we, we got up to about 250 people. And, uh, and of course, uh, that's when the pandemic happened. Oh and wow! So we okay. haven't actually hosted. Uh, we actually haven't hosted camp for a couple of years now. But I was it this past summer. Idle, correct me if I'm wrong. Was it this past summer you started doing? And maybe this is different. You started doing these pop up playgrounds or something. Yeah, yeah. So no, you're you're totally right. So, so what happened? And I'll, I'll weave in a little bit of what I was sharing earlier. So you know, I was working for an organization at the beginning of the pandemic. And um, uh, for all the reasons why it would make sense, i.e., job security, um, and 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 like I, I I you know made sense to stay with this organization. I, I enjoyed their work. I enjoyed the people I was working with, but um, I couldn't shake the feeling that at a time of mass disconnection, this organization that really did some innovative work around connection had a role. And uh, there were a number of people in our community who shared that feeling um but of course the question was how how do we do that because we can't gather in the way that we know how and that led to a series of town halls and consultations with you know invite was put out to the reset community and what came from that was this idea of adapting one of our most successful uh, camp reset activities which was a an audio um, audio playground that you did with other people um, and uh, take that experience and adapt it so it could be done in parks and public spaces in Toronto. And by doing so, um, we could contribute to the city's social recovery required due to the pandemic uh, and make the work that we're doing more accessible. Because the, the challenge with camp is camp is, uh, is beautiful to be a part of, but it's not culturally, financially, sometimes physically um, accessible. Um, and And so, the idea of bringing our work into the city was 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 actually following momentum that was already created in previous years, um, but it was it was bringing even further attention to this idea of how can we reconceptualize this organization rather than just standing back until um, until the pandemic was quote unquote over. And and one other kind of driving factor at the beginning of the pandemic, of course. Um, almost everyone I knew, myself included, was figuring out how do we do what we were doing offline in an online way, you know, enter the age of Zoom. And um, it, we really had to check 
what that felt like for ourselves. And we ultimately made the decision that we were not going to move any of our organizing or activities online. That part of what made it special was exactly the opposite. Um, and so what that meant is that we had to just think within the parameters that existed um, and design with the pandemic in mind. And, and for that to happen, it required a lot of work. I left my job. Um, many other people contributed. The pop-up playground itself was, was co-created by about 84 individuals, researchers, psychologists, artists, uh, volunteers, uh, community organizers. Like we were all trying to answer this question: how do we uh, how do we how do we unlearn the fear that we have learned for the person in our neighborhood, the stranger that we see in the street? You remember those old early days of the pandemic, we'd see someone we didn't know and we would cross the street. Um, and, and, and we were in fear about the person we didn't know, let alone the people we did know. And so we were all trying to answer this question, how do we unlearn that through a 30-minute exercise? And, and play disrupts patterns. And, and so we were hoping to, to accomplish that. So we ended up doing 50 of these pop-up playgrounds that summer. 50? And was it like the summer of 2021? Yes. Oh, wow. Okay. Wow. Um, I want to talk more about this, this play, but... You've, you've said this a couple of times where you don't refer to the attendees at camp um, or even, you know, over the summer as attendees or customers or campers, uh, but you refer to them as, yeah, they, they helped create. Mm. So uh, that's, that's a different way of, of thinking for sure. Is that, is that intentional? Uh, like how, how how do you see them as co-creators and not consumers? Let's say. Well, I think I think fundamentally, we first of all, we're not a product for consumerism. We're a product for connection. I think even calling us a product is in itself feels um, not entirely aligned with who who we are and what we're doing. Um, what I what I consistently refer to the people who participated or attended a reset event uh, is a community, um, and um, and many of those people within the community have have co-created, uh, and the definition of co-creation could be very loose. It could be like by showing up, you are contributing towards this experience because it's an immersive experience. It requires, you know, if you're there, um, to to be some way contributing towards it. Or it could literally mean like you put in hours to design an experience or, you know, be at a registration desk or, um, you know, amplify the cause and work in some way. And so um, the reason why this is important, uh, I, I believe, and, and I think many others who have been a part of this have believed, is um, the, the culture of consumerism, amongst many things, um, uh, is, is, is centered around the idea of ownership, is centered around the idea that um, things are scarce, and and therefore we work to, um, we you know we need to work to have our own thing. And in in reset, um, you know the philosophy has been rooted in abundance, um, and that nothing truly can be owned, uh, but it can be shared. And uh, and so one of the ways that we have tried to create that culture, and we haven't always done a great job, um, is by always creating space for other people to contribute towards it. Um, and that doesn't always work out, and we've learned some very hard lessons along and, and around the way. Um, but but what's what's beautiful, I believe, about it is that um, is that we're just one big puzzle, 
um, and constantly evolving based on the contributions of the people who participate in that puzzle or who have. Wow. So tell me about some of these, these playgrounds, these games uh, that, that you did over the, over the past summer. Mm. Well, I'll tell you a little bit about it and I'll tell you a little bit about the kind of the, like the underlying um, spirit underneath it all. And it kind of permeates all of our work. So specifically what the playground, uh, the pop-up playground was is um, you'd show up, uh, up to 10 people could do it at once um, because we were designing at that time for the pandemic parameters of 10 people outdoors as a maximum gathering size. Um, we give them headphones and um, we would play uh, an audio track and that audio track would have a narrator. Um, that narrator uh, was also the kind of lead designer, um, an artist and creator named Shazia Abji. Um, and, um, and that narrator, uh, Shazia would, uh, although in the, in the experience, her name was Ark, and uh, she, she would guide people in a series of activities, uh, individual presencing, um, improv, um, uh, theatrical, uh, ultimately to lead them towards uh, um, a kind of a, somewhat of a flash mob group dance activity. And, um, and they were fun. They were like, uh, you know, one of the biggest things that people said that they felt from the experience was that they were able to just leave, leave behind some of the heaviness that they were carrying on account of not just the pandemic, but like what feels like a world that is unraveling in many different ways. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, so it, it was, you know, we referred to it as an audio adventure, meet silent disco um, that could be done in 30 minutes and turn strangers into, you know, silly participants um, in this shared experience. And, um, and, and the underlying kind of spirit that, that drove through that and drives through everything we do is this idea of just play. So our vision is to, is to um, is for a world where adults feel a sense of permission around just play, and that essence of just play comes from two of our biggest learnings over the years. One, uh, most adults don't feel a sense of permission around play. Um, in light, you know, going back to our conversation around uh, our culture of busyness and productivity, um, you know, we're, we're we're born with a with an instinct to play, but it is socialized out of us. And so just play is a bit of a directive similar to the, to the Nike slogan to just, to just do that. Um, but the other, other kind of part informing just play is from our lesson over the years that it is really hard to have collective joy without justice. And so just play is the intersection of justice and play. And just play is play that is centered on connection rather than competition. It's nonviolent. Uh, it is prioritizes equity and access puzzles, dancing, you know, connective cards. There's, um, there's a whole world of play like this that already exists. Um, some of it also can be created now, you know, there's an emergent field around it. And specifically in the world of play, that's the play that we, we gravitate towards. So, so it's not- experience was one in just play. Yeah, so it's not, let's play a game and there's a winner, but let's, play a game and let's all have fun. And there's no sort of right. end of, of, of yeah. winning, losing. Correct. Cause play for the sake of play. Yeah. Uh, huh. You know, there's nothing against inherently play that is designed for winning, but 
if you think of play that is centered around competition, often what it's doing is reinforcing um, some of the elements of our current society, which we, um, which we feel, you know, which, which I feel, um, and perhaps other feel needs to change. Um, you know, hierarchy, the fact that there needs to be a winner. Um, in some cases, you know, violence as, you know, the strongest must, is the, is the most successful or the, the best asset. Like, um, yeah, play for the sake of play. And, you know, I, I think, um, I think the idea of all of us winning uh, resonates because, you know, Kareem, I think about the fact that uh, this, this world is hard and it has a lot of, a lot of things that make it a struggle and, and make it an experience in suffering. And I'd like to think, um, and I know there's many other people who have said this uh, as well, uh, that we are here also to have a good time and that we're here to connect with each other and not compete with each other. And so just play is inspired by that spirit. And, and it's, it's been really, it's been really wonderful to, to kind of be on this learning journey around it. Yeah, that's amazing. You, you said earlier that, you know, sometimes an excursion, like going to a camp um, is, is not accessible for, for many people for different reasons. So I'm curious, you know, how did you, um, how did you design these uh, these games and these these playgrounds to be accessible? Um, so I'm curious if you know you went to different parts of the city um, that maybe don't have facilities or access uh, to to things. So yeah, if you could tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I, I mean, I think. Instead, so one of the one of the biggest things is we went we went to different neighborhoods and and we didn't go to all the neighborhoods, um, but but we tried to get to as many different ones as we could and and so instead of telling people come to us, we we brought what we were doing to to them should they be interested. Um, but of of course accessibility, there are so many different forms of it. So there's financial is another element to which we can consider accessibility. So there was opportunities for people to get discounted, if not free tickets. Um, uh, you know, another form of accessibility, of course, is physical accessibility. And so we consulted with people with lived experience, uh, whether they use mobility devices or uh, assisted uh, hearing devices. Um, amongst others, in order to understand if the experience would be one which would which would work for them, and so, um, you know, I don't. I think the work of accessibility is never complete. It's one that you're constantly evolving, um, and and particularly the only way to do it, I think, is by just making the people at your table uh, more and more diverse to bring in more experiences uh, to 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 try and find the alchemy that's most uh, accessible to people. Interesting. You know, there's a lot of a, a lot of people look at uh, lockdowns and, and you know COVID and what's been happening the past couple of years, and and many people have different reactions to it, right? And and when I say people, I mean like groups of people, right? Um, you know, you have groups of people that would say, okay, we need to make sure that we isolate, that we get ourselves vaxxed, that we wear masks, and so on. You know, there's groups of people that will say, you know, forget about it. I'm free to do what I want. Uh, and, and there's a group of people like that. And then you've got, and there's many other groups. I don't want to just say there's two. But it's interesting that 
if I can call reset a group, um, that you took a look at what was happening and say, how do we, how do we just bring people back together uh, and, and have some fun and play? Um, and so, you know, a lot of people look at, you know, I don't know, different responses, but your response, I don't know if, if what you're doing is a response necessarily to the pandemic, but it is a very interesting one. That's mm. for sure. And, and I'm curious if, if you do see this as a response or is this just a continuation, whether or not there's COVID? Well, it's, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a great question with a lot of layers to it. Um, we are, without a doubt, we are responding to this moment in time. And I'll, I'll share about, you know, our retreat center that we're just about to open as a example of that. Um, uh, and I would say that, like, our work is a continuation, not just the work that we've done, but, you know, our, a lot of our thinking, um, uh, you know, the paradigms that we're leaning into are, are, are the work of others, like, the amount of um, you know Adrian Marie Brown or, or or Bell Hooks or 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 you know Mr. Rogers or you know I can I can list all so many different people um, that I know who indirectly um, we are uh, a form of continuation of their work and their wisdom. Uh, so so yeah so I, I I think I think there's I think there's something there and uh, as it relates to also your point about. You know the the two sides. So um, the two sides is is a form of you know binary thinking, and um, what we're increasingly learning is that um, the the, the binary thinking has actually limited um, our capacity to um, to to exist in, in a healthy way altogether. Uh, we are we are more of a spectrum or a rainbow um, than than O's and ones. Um, and, uh, and so the, the reason why I bring that up is there's a, there's a phrase in improv, um, called yes. And I don't know if you're familiar with it. And, you know, the idea is if someone, uh, if you're improving someone and they say a thing and the way to continue the, the kind of flow is to say yes. And, um, and, and you do your thing and it's kind of what you're saying is like, and both can be true. And, um, and so. You know, I think um, I think a lot about yes and 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 I, I've yes ended yes and and now I just say and um, and um, you know I think when we think about our world right now and we think about the two sides I think and I think there's truth on both sides I think it's a mistake to try to be in the paradigm we're in where we're where there's a constant pursuit of of one truth or an ultimate truth this hierarchical truth and the the sense of being right. We can both be right and we can both be wrong. And, and it is a fundamentally about, about figuring out what we share in common and, and play is something we share in common. And so, so our work is absolutely uh, in response to this. And, and so, as I mentioned, you know, this week, actually, it's, um, it's cool because, you know, you and I set up this date a little while ago. It just so happens to, to happen at, at a pretty... Um, magical milestone for for the organization. You know, this week we're uh, we're launching the Reset Retreat Center, um, building on our success from the playgrounds. You know, one of the biggest things we asked people was, "What would you want?" And they said, "You know, permanent place to play," which was consistent with the feedback we got over the years from camp, from people when they said, "Okay, camp was cool, four days a week or four days a year, 
but like what happens all the other time? And so, um, you know, we're piloting uh, a retreat center in the city, uh, similar to, to, you know, what we've been talking about, you know, retreat centers are often things that are inaccessible to a lot of people because they're out of town and or expensive. Um, we think bringing the premise of a retreat center into the city, um, uh, and again, the paradigm of what we do at camp, but within uh, an old convenience store and seeing um, what it can do for connection, community and collective joy um, as being our next chapter. And so, you know, this week we will, we open the doors for that. Um, and, uh, and for the next six months, um, we are going to, we're going to have a, a, a radical experiment in, uh, in just play. And, and it's really, um, it's such a, it's such an honor to be, to be doing this work. That's like, especially at this time, like, you know, who thinks of opening up a place where you have to go inside, you know, when, when sometimes, you know, there are laws that say, no, you can't go inside and, and hang out. So that, that must've been a, a leap of faith. Well, um, yeah, or maybe not. And, uh, you know, I, I think if I, I'll tie it back to where we started in this conversation, you know, you asked me how my city lives and, and um, you know, what you didn't, we didn't talk about what I learned from it, but um, you know, what I can say about my city lives is that we were amongst, you know, some of the first mobile apps in the world that were, that were video based. And, and um, I spent a lot of time thinking about, our experiences in the digital world um, and where we are at now and what really came up for me then is, you know, the more and more we move towards integrating technology into our lives, um, the less we, we, the less we have the chance for real world connections. And um, I think the continuum from my story, since you and I first spoke and met, uh, you know, over over ten years ago now, um, uh, is that you know I feel that I, part of my purpose for being here is a sense of responsibility to defend the real world, and I think I I know that we have um, we're roughly similar age. Like I think we're we're amongst a generation of people who who know what the world was like before and after the internet, and um, and as a consequence, I really think um, that we have a, a unique responsibility. Um, and or opportunity, depending on how you want to see it, um, to to celebrate, cherish, and if not even defend what is great about being human, because where we're going with technology is becoming it, if not already. And you know, many many of our technology leaders and thinkers talk about the idea of singularity and moving to the words of the moment, where to be already, you know, we become one with tech. Arguably, we're already there, if not on the doorsteps of that. I think that is exciting for a number of reasons. I'm not against that. I just want to make sure we don't lose about what's great about being human. And so the idea of opening up a physical space at this time is directly related to that because as we connect more and more online, understandably, and with benefit for doing so, uh, we are consistently moving away from what makes online or offline great. And, uh, and so we are going against the grain, but I think for good reason. And I think our advantage um, is that we are, we are being born in this space uh, knowing the parameters. I think for, for physical locations right now, the biggest challenge is that they're reverse engineering themselves to be 
uh, you know, pandemic appropriate. That's super tough. You know, I have I have family that that is in this this realm of work that has physical retail locations, and and I and I have so much of sadness for for the, what their experience has been. Where I think we are um, fortunate as an organization is that we're we're open and knowing this, so everything we do can be informed from that as design parameter. And as a consequence, we can contribute towards, I think, a much broader movement of people who are figuring out how do we gather again. Yeah, that'd be really fascinating to to just witness, you know, the this experiment for sure. What so what what kind of? Uh, and I'm afraid to ask this question because I think I, I might know it subconsciously. Um, what sort of programming can one expect? Like. Do people just kind of show up or is it like, tell me about the space? Yeah. So um, similar to how I explained that the parameters of uh, camp, um, you show up and you check your tech, you leave your phone at the door. Specifically, you have a locker to do that in. Um, and in uh, the, you know, no work talk um, and uh and you're invited to, to introduce yourself however you wish, name, nickname, alike. And, um, and you come into the space and, uh, you know, I would say first and foremost, if that's all you do and you come into the space, that is more than enough. Going back to our conversation about productivity, um, there is a cycle we're in around, well, I got to do a thing. In actuality, like so much of our existence is just actually figuring out how to be. And without the distraction of work and technology, um, the space is already a, a profoundly different um, uh, um, container to what we're traditionally used to. With that said, um, there are opportunities in the place. I mean, there's a bunch of toys, adult toys, um, you know, from, from from fidget spinners to, to puzzles. Um, uh, I'm glad. I don't mean to. I'll, I have to interrupt you. I'm glad you defined adult toys. By saying fidget spinners, because I was afraid of, you know, what kind of a space. Anyways, continue. Of course, of course. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, it's interesting. I I, I uh, I've had that experience before too, where where people have um, associated immediately when I talk about adult play as being um, sexual. I I, uh, I think I think people are often quite disappointed, um, at least who come to our experiences with the assumption that there's something more sexual about it. I think they're often disappointed with how how devoid I often think uh, the experiences are. Um, and, and that's because so much of our, uh, the emphasis in order to create a space for people feel, you know, safe enough to, to play and to connect. I mean, you actually, you have to do a lot of work to ensure that there, that um, the dynamics that occur when you go into a club or a bar traditionally um, uh, are not existing and showing up in the same way. Um, so anyways, we digress, uh, on that. Um, I, uh, so yes, yeah, so you come to space first and foremost, just, just be, if, if you want to do something beyond that, um, the, 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 the basement floor, uh, is actually a co-created, um, art piece. So, uh, people from the community, it's a lounge, but people from the community over the six months of the pilot are invited to to create, we're calling it uh, the Enchanted Forest. And the idea is we, we really wanted to bring the, the nature part to the space uh, because a lot of times people don't have access to nature. And so um, that's certainly in the way that you might, if you get out of town. And so 
we were like, oh, let's bring plants in and turn it into a forest. And then we thought, well, most plants might not actually live in the basement. They might need to be a little bit more creative and, and, and crafty. And, and then it, it kind of morphed into from that idea to being something where we could invite people to, to bring something in. So now we have people who are, who are you know, someone's creating a labyrinth in there. Somebody else is um, uh, creating, uh, putting little fairy doors in there. Like there's, there's all sorts of little things that are kind of being put into that space. Um, and then programmatically, like the things that we know with certainty that we'll be offering every single day, there'll be a laugh circle and there will be a dance. Um, and by dance, like a, like a dance party, we use silent disco headphones. So it's multi-channeled, which means two of those channels are different kinds of music. And one of them, the third channel will be a meditation channel because some people I know myself just need to tap out of like a dance party and find, find some inner calm. Um, and, uh, and, and that's what we know we're doing. Cause when we go to playgrounds, we ask people, okay, cool. If you want to, if you want a permanent space to play like, what do you need? What do you imagine there? Um, most often people would just say, I, I just need a place to dance and know that I can do that any day of the week and, um, and it not be like a club. And, and so, um, and so, so that's what we are doing, but as we have done with our other experiences, you know, we've created some programming to, to, to kind of, um, you know, create some uh, element of programming, but the invitation now is up to the community of people who, who would like to co-contribute to the space. And so as we open, we're, we're extending invitations um, to people who are interested, who have different forms of programming um, that fit the pillars of justice and play uh, to just play. And, um, and to your previous question around accessibility, um, it's important for us for these people to come from a, a you know a, a wide diversity of identities um, because uh, play can be experienced in so many different ways based based on someone's experiences uh, and so I think like it's funny when people ask like so what's going to happen there and and I'd like to I like to respond by saying I know 50% of what I think is going to happen and then 50% I have no idea but I think that's super important because that is the only way that we can truly be genuine and, and authentic in our desire to create something collaborative. If we showed up with the finished product, nothing wrong with that, but it wouldn't be within our ethos and how we believe um, in the kind of solidarity and the collective spirit that we want to exist within. That's so cool. Okay, so um, this sounds fascinating. How, how does somebody find out about what's going on and where this place even is? So the place is, um, it's located uh, in Oakwood Village. Uh, for those people who are in Toronto listening, um, uh, you know, it's close to Eglinton West Subway, if that's helpful. But I know, Kareem, I was, uh, I was looking at your, um, uh, your history and your incredible library of um, people that you've interviewed over the years. And, and I know you have an audience that is more geographically spread as well. So, um, uh, so, so beyond that, you know, I hope I hope that you know we can be in other neighborhoods, um, uh, if if that makes sense, if the pilot is successful. But for now, we're in Toronto, and uh, and come to our website at thisisreset.org, um, or on IG, we're at Hello Reset, um, and uh, and I'm sure in your you know podcast description, you'll have my at least my name, and you know some of oh, absolutely. They, they can find us, uh, they can find us that way. For sure, I'll make sure in the show notes to leave uh, your Instagram and your website uh, for sure. I, I feel like just coming out and 
just putting myself in that position where you were when you went for your fourth camp and decided to get a little bit uncomfortable and, you know, put away the phone finally and just participate. Um, Cause I thought I played, but this sounds like so much different. This sounds like a different definition of, of play than, than what I'm used to. I thought, you know, we played a little bit of lacrosse on Saturday um, and that was fun, but it was also, there was also some, it was fun, you know, no one's keeping score or anything, mm-hmm. but you know, there was, it was competitive in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so this, this sounds much, much different. So I'm, I'm looking forward to hopefully one day making my way over there. And, okay. uh, well, we're, you're always, always welcome. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really grateful for you have having created this you know, platform for us to share, for me to share the work of our community. And again, for the um, literally hundreds of hours you put into amplifying many other people's stories. I went all the way back to your first one with Kareem Awad and, and just like following your, your journey, um, you know, with, with the show, with this platform, um, it's really, it's really inspiring. Um, so, you know, thank you. I really, I'm grateful to be here and for all the kind of, things that I've learned through kind of following along. Thank you. I appreciate that. I want to end off this way. Um, so back in 2011, almost to the day, February 23rd, 2011, um, I published a blog post called Happy Birthday Edition of Five Questions starring mm. Idil from My City Lives. Mm. And so I had asked you five questions, and I want to ask you the same five questions. Um, and I want to, some of them I'll have to tweak. Okay. But I want to ask you these questions. And and I think what I'll do is I will post both series of answers. That's so cool. That's, what, a, um, what an amazing thing to offer, just, just for me personally. Yeah. Um, that's really neat. So here's question number one. I, I have no yeah. idea what I said. I, yeah, I know that. I, I know that. No, I'm like, I'm not even going to try, but, but wow. I'll, and I'm not expecting like the same answer, but when I quickly went through your answers, um, of course, we, we all grow, we all change, but I think your foundation has always been there. Because hmm. uh, I remember asking you, like, why my city lives, and you told me a story of going to Africa and and sort of seeing what was going on and coming up with this, this an idea that morphed its way into my city live. So, you know, I think people has always been at, at your foundation and how you can serve people uh, and be of service to people. So, so that's always been there. But let's let's get to the questions, Idol. Okay. So, number one, what motivates you to do what you do on a daily basis? Well, without a doubt, the first word that comes up is Seva. Um, you know, for those who, who aren't uh, familiar with that word or what it means, uh, another word would be service. If you had 30 seconds to impart your wisdom on a classroom of soon-to-be graduates, what would you say? Yeah, in those 30 seconds, uh, 
I think I would. I think I would just say whatever. Hmm. So I'm thinking in one words right now. I'm thinking a lot about passion, and and I think. Um, I think you know my my wife uh, Shelby Shelby Kim Dalla. Um, she uh, she supports people in finding and feeling their passion, and uh, what I've seen from the work that she does, and and you know benefiting from it directly, is that um, for many of us, myself being included, um, we we tend to have and know what we're passionate about from a younger age, but we. Um, for many reasons, we we lose the flame along the way, and I think what I would tell that class is, um, surround yourself by people who fuel your passion, and don't try and dim your light. So here's the third question I asked you, and so you'll understand why I want to change it. So I asked you. If you had a crystal ball, what would you say will be the most important technological development over the next 12 months? Hmm. So I want to take out the I want to take out that technology word. Um, so if you had a crystal ball, let me ask, yeah, let me ask you this way. Hmm. Um, where do you see the work that you're doing around justice and play a year from now? Like specifically our organization or more broadly? Sure, or broadly or specific? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think I think we are um, we are on the precipice of, you know, call it a renaissance or a revolution. Um, our systems that we have, you know, existed from a, a number of years are, are falling apart, uh, particularly starting with capitalism. And... You know, I'm. I think what our work is doing is part of a movement of of organizations and individuals uh, who are co-creating a new economy. I don't know what that is. Uh, I know it's rooted in solidarity. Uh, I know it prioritizes the environment, and and I know ultimately that it's focused on uh, figuring out how we can live abundantly, every single one of us, and. Um, you know, 10 or 12 or whatever years now, I think, you know, if you ask me that question, uh, I hope we will be further along, but I know that that journey is a very, very long one. Uh, but but also, I know it's one that could happen much sooner rather than later. There's a classic yen situation. So, um, so yeah, I think, I think like the, my broad answer then to that is, uh, you know, we're, we're on, we're on, we're part of a journey that is co-creating a new economy. Um, and ultimately, uh, you know, a world where we, um, it's going to be much different than this one. So I also asked you what's been one of the most important technolo technological developments over the past 12 months. So instead today, I'll ask you, what's the most important thing you've done in the past year? Oh, there's so many directions to take that. Um, I mean, the 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 first thing that that came up was, um, you know, I got to get married, and 
Um, I am a hopeful romantic. I, I think that love is, um, is a, is the most powerful force that exists and that it is constantly being suppressed, particularly by our dominant systems. And I think, um, I think if we are to, to forge that new world and new economy that I was talking about, I think, um, I think it will come from love. And, and so, you know, to, to be able to celebrate love, um, uh, that in the way that we got to do, um, particularly given these times, um, you know, it felt, it felt without a doubt, like a, a highlight. Um, and, uh, and certainly, certainly within the last year, the, the biggest thing that I can, I can think about. Um, so, you know, that would be my answer. Nice. So you can tell you and I were in the tech space back mm. in those days. And so my last question was, you know, who is one of Canada's tech stars? Um, and by the way, let me say, you know, let me read some of these names out to you. So your sister, Amira. Hmm? Yeah. Uh, Raymond Coe. Hmm. Rob Lay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Amrita Matur. Uh, wow. Okay. Th- th- those, those were the names when, when I asked you that question. But I w- let me ask you this one. Um, you know, in, in, the, in the space of justice and play, and that could be together or separate, um, you know, who are some people that you take inspiration from? Um, w- w- without a doubt, you know, I think a lot about my mother, um, who I think, um, more than, more than anyone in, in my life, uh, em- embodies, uh, those pillars. Um, I think about some of the folks that I, I previously mentioned, um, you know, particularly Bell Hooks, and Adrian Marie Brown. I think about the philosophy of Ubuntu. Um, I think about, uh, I think about many, you know, indigenous ancient Indian cultures where, you know, where my ancestors roots are, um, that, that have prioritized, uh, space for, for play and the importance of justice. Um, but arms of Krim, like, I feel, I feel like I, I see inspiration in everyone around this. Like we, we all have the capacity for play. And, and I think my understanding of our experiences here is so much of it is centered on our desire to belong. Uh, so, so we all have the capacity for, for justice and play and to just play. And so it's, there are, there are people that I do want to celebrate and I appreciate you having asked that, but if I can move away from the, my kind of mindset that defaults to the hierarchy in, in celebrating one, I, I kind of want to celebrate the circle um, you know, that, that represents all of us. And, and I think the last thing I'll just say to that, just to your the way you set up that question about you know working in tech, I actually in a way still think I work in tech. I think I work in, in I think I think in a way like I, I work in in a way that it that supports our healthy relationships with technology. Um, you know, like it's I'm not trying to escape tech because tech is. I mean, it's everywhere. As I said, I think we're overcoming it, but I think that we just haven't 
um, done enough work yet to to uh, uh, make our response our relationship to it be more responsible. Uh, we've kind of just opened up the gates and closed our eyes and you know celebrated all the ways that it can be in our lives. But but I but I think that like our work fundamentally is about um, trying to to create a healthier relationship. And, and by virtue of that, I think we're very much, I'm, I'm so very much in tech and just uh, representing uh, a different side of it. Yeah. Thanks, Otto, for your time, man. This has been fun. Hey, man. I really, really am grateful, again, for the time and space here. And you've made me think about, uh, you made me think about a lot. And it's been a long time since someone has asked me about uh, My City Lives and, um, I think the opportunity to do that and to kind of connect the dots on on my own journey in life, uh, uh, it's a real it's a real gift to have done that. So thank you, Cream. You're welcome. Anything else you wanted to share or want to make sure people know? I, I just the last thing is um, you don't need us to just play. I think that's also like you know a, a world a world that's centered around um you know scarcity and, and production um is predicated on the idea of like you need our thing in order to do x nobody needs reset whatsoever in order to feel a sense of permission around play in in, in our in our vision and our hope i mean maybe we're just one camp and one little convenience store and one little uh thing and, and that and that's fine um but it but if if the world is playing more that's great and mm -hmm. so um, if you if you heard any of this and in, in your interpretation or your excitement around play, you know, uh, you don't need you don't need us to do that. Certainly, we would love to play, uh, you know, with you. We'd love to love for you to come to our space, to our camps, etc. Um, but just play, just play. That's a good way to end it. Appreciate that. Thanks, Kareem. <laughs>